Colossians chapter 4. Would you stand with me as we read a portion of God's word here this evening? Colossians chapter 4. And I uh, want to, to just read the latter verses here. We're gonna, going to wrap this up. This is Paul's conclusion. But I want to go back and review some things and uh, just kind of fit this whole thing all together. In chapter 4, verse number 15, uh, Paul says, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. And so these are the concluding remarks, but uh, I think as we go back and just put this thing together, it's really neat how um, so many precious truths that God gives to us here out of, out of the book of Colossians. If you'll join me, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's take a moment of time just to yield and uh, ask his way to be done in our hearts uh, here this evening. Father, I thank you. What a privilege it is to be in church here tonight. I thank you for the Bible that you've given to us. It's an anchor for our faith. And uh, so very important, especially in, in these days that we live in, uh, to know what we believe and why we believe it, and to be able to say, thus saith the Lord, uh, because of what your Bible says. And Lord, help us always to be true to your Bible, never ashamed of the, of the word that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, for this love letter that you've blessed us with. And Lord, help us tonight as we relay these truths that you've given unto us, and we pray these things in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. And as you're seated here tonight, uh, you can be seated. And as you're seated, I want you to go back with me to Colossians chapter 1. And what we have uh, mentioned, uh, just uh, some of the major topics here of the book of Colossians. And, uh, and really, as we look in chapter 1, the theme is the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look with me at verse number 14 of Colossians 1, the Bible speaks, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And let me just state with this that there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to go to heaven. It's not through religion. It's not through how good you can be. It's not through your prayer life, but it's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And the Bible teaches very clearly, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so I was a church member before I was saved, but I was lost and on the road to hell. And I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that was shed for me. Now, we read of the Lord Jesus, and this is very important, verse 15, uh, of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Uh, Jesus is God. And by him all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Do you realize without Jesus Christ, everything would fall apart today? Uh, scientists still can't explain what keeps the atom together. I can tell you what it is. It's Jesus Christ, and he holds it. By him all things consist. And here's the key verse. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is to be exalted. He is above all and uh, before all, and by him all things made. So there is the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, because of who Jesus is, 
we have our completeness in Christ. If we've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are complete in the Lord. If you look at verse number 8, Colossians 2. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And again, we have very clear reference to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in the Lord Jesus Christ bodily. And then we read, And ye, if you're saved, are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. If you know Christ, you are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that is so important to recognize uh, what you have in Jesus Christ. Now, these are the two major themes of, uh, of the book of Colossians. And these two themes weave their way uh, through this entire book. Colossians 1 and Colossians 2 are the doctrinal portion of the book of Colossians. And then given out of this doctrine, I want you to look in chapter 3, we have the practical portion. And often in the letters of Paul, Paul would start with doctrine. That's the foundation. And uh, then out of that doctrine, he would build the practical points of our life. And let me just state here that what you believe will dictate who you are. And uh, that foundation, uh, very important, Ms. J.B., you gave testimony to that. Mrs. Carr, you gave testimony to that. And, and doctrine's important. What you believe is very crucial. Uh, doctrine then builds our life. And I want you to see how this is the case in chapter 3. Uh, you are complete in Christ. And he says in chapter 3, verse number 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. And so here the Bible teaches that in Christ we are complete, we're bought by His blood, and because of that, if you're in Christ, seek those things which are above. We don't live for this life, we live for eternity. Uh, we're to put off the old man, uh, we're to put on the new man, and that's uh, presented to us in chapter 3. And then God begins to deal with our very personal lives. Look in chapter 3, verse number 5, because of Christ, He says, mortify. Therefore, put to death your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, put off that old man, put on the new man. Go to chapter 3 and verse number 12. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Or perfectness. And so what he's, he's saying, through Christ, we're a new creature. Uh, you've been changed. Uh, salvation is a miracle. Uh, you can't change yourself. Uh, salvation is receiving the gift of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ begins to live from within and he begins to change your life. And just share uh, you know, the testimony. Before I got saved, I got frustrated with trying to be a Christian uh, because I, I couldn't do it. And I discovered that in myself, in my flesh, I could not live up to God's standards. I fell short, and I was frustrated with that. But when I met the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a peace that came. 
And uh, with Christ, now he comes into the heart. We're complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin is washed in his blood, and now he lives his life through us. Then in chapter 3, verse 17, he tells us, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Because of salvation, now you live your life for his glory. Then he gets down into the practical parts of the home. If you look in verse number 18, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And that doesn't mean that the wife is less than the husband. We're equal. And, uh, but in Christ, there is this authority. Uh, just as we presented that Jesus Christ is God. They're one and the same. Uh, they're, they're equal, one with another. And yet the, fa- uh, the son has submitted to the father as the wife is to submit unto the husband. And so this is the practical point of putting this into application. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives, be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So the home is changed by the completeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he mentions the workplace. Uh, Not only does the Lord change your personal life, he changes your home. And then he changes your work, uh, your work ethic. In verse 22, he says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And then masters, in chapter 4, verse 1, Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye have a master in heaven. So that's what doctrine does. Doctrine changes who you are, your personal life, it changes your home life, it changes your work life, and then it changes our life within the local church, and that's chapter 4, as uh, Paul then begins to deal with our relationships and his concluding remarks, uh, uh, just dealing, dealing with the relationships that he has in the Lord Jesus Christ and application to the Lord. Have you noticed this, that when you know the Lord, you're attracted to those that know the Lord? Uh, I was just amazed. Used to work at uh, lumber yard, and uh, working in that lumber yard, I could. I was uh, there was a, a man that came in, and would often I would uh, load his. He was a contractor. I would load lumber into his truck, and I noticed there's something different about his life. And uh, there was just a fellowship that we had. One day, I, I asked him. I said, are, "Are you saved? Are you a Christian?" And he says, yes. And he says, and you're saved too. He said, I knew it. And, and uh, so there was just that relationship that you have with those that know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that common bond that you have in the Lord. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, here Paul, as we get to chapter 4, his concluding remarks, and we spend a lot of time with this, it deals with the importance of Christian fellowship and Christian teamwork. Uh, Those that are complete in Christ are changed by Christ. They're drawn to others that know Christ. And in conclusion, this letter, Paul mentions a number of co-laborers. They were special to Paul. They helped Paul. They encouraged Paul. Uh, Many of them were well-known. Others were not so well-known. And Paul mentions them by name and commends them uh, here before the church in Colossae. And now we come to these concluding remarks. And I want to break this down here into three different thoughts tonight. And it kind of uh, fits uh, together as we look at our completeness in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, first of all, there are the closing supplications or the closing requests, the closing prayers. Look in verse number 15. He says, salute the brethren. He says, salute the brethren which are, uh, uh, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. Now, something interesting here, there's evidence uh, that Paul never had been to Laodicea. He had never been to Colossae, and yet he, uh, uh, he probably didn't know many of them personally. Uh, some he would have, but others did not know them. But he sends greetings to them, their brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we just had the funeral for Brother Whitehead in uh, Roswell. Uh, as I read through this, as Paul is saluting these brothers that he does not even has not even met, but they're brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I remembered often as I would speak to to Brother Whitehead, he was very uh, he was very concerned for Valley Bible Baptist Church. He never pastored here, and yet when he was in Santa Fe, they sent an associate pastor here to Valley Bible Baptist, and and out of that, uh, Brother Whitehead had a. Uh, really a, a longing for this church and he prayed often for this church and often sent greetings to this church wanted to know how this church was doing and I think that's the heart of Paul uh, though Paul has never been to Laodicea never been to Colossae and yet because of his ministry in Ephesus uh, there were people that were saved there that went back to those cities and planted those churches and so Paul had that common connection they were brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he sends in conclusion, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. And then specifically, he mentions Nymphus in verse 15. And Nymphus and the church which is in his house. Uh, now in the Roman Empire, uh, we drew attention to this, there was great persecution against the Christians. Many churches met in homes. They were forced underground. Uh, this church, this building, is not the church. Okay, this is a building. And thank the Lord for the privilege of a building like this. But the building is not the church. The church is the people. And I believe a good definition of a church is an assembly of baptized believers that have banded together for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. And so here is a church that is meeting in this home. Now, in many areas of severe persecution, for example, in Muslim countries today, uh, they still meet in homes. They meet secretively in homes. Uh, before the, the fall of the communist Russian empire in 1990, I read stories of, um, of uh, churches that would literally meet out in the woods and they, would, uh, they had ways of communicating. They would send uh, messages and very sophisticated means of sending messages. And their congregation would meet out in the woods secretively because they knew to meet would be to be arrested or to be caught would be to, to be arrested. And so it was this way in the Roman Empire. Many uh, of the churches had gone underground during these times of persecution. And so Paul says, salute the brethren. Look at verse number 16. Here's the second supplication or request. <coughs> read the epistles. He says, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, at one time, uh, 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 there, there was no complete Bible. 
And so they would pass the letters of Paul from church to church. Now, something interesting, when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, some have said there must have been uh, one of Paul's letters to the church of Laodicea. Of course, the Lord didn't preserve it. It's not part of the preserved word of God. Uh, Some have said maybe this was the book of Ephesians that circulated among the churches. Um, But the fact was they would take the Bible, these portions of Scripture, and they would read them publicly in the church. Let me just state that I I don't think we do enough Bible reading in our churches. I think we ought to read the Bible, and we ought to read it uh, quite often. Uh, Ought to be a a very important part of what we do. Uh, The Word of God is powerful. It's quicker. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, the Word of God has transforming power in a life. I, I encourage you, read the Bible personally. Read the Bible in your homes. Uh, we ought to read the Bible in church. I heard a gentleman preach, Brother Vic Sears. He's with the Lord, been with the Lord many years. But he, he told of the greatest revival he had ever experienced in his ministry. And he said he, uh, the Lord just did not give him a message And so Sunday morning, not having a message, he opened, I believe, to the book of John. And he just began to read. That's what he did for the the morning message. And uh, that night, uh, again, God did not give him a message. And so he picked up in the book of John where he left off. And uh, Wednesday night, God didn't give him a message. He continued reading the Bible. He did that for three weeks. And he said people started coming to church just to see when he was actually going to preach. But he said as he as they would come to church and just hear the word of God uh, read, he said the altars would be flooded with people. God did a great work. They had souls saved and lives was touched. And he began to realize it's not my preaching uh, that is changing lives, but it's the power of the word of God that is transforming lives. And I think we have too little of the Bible. Uh, I'm excited about uh, sending Cebuano Bibles uh, to the Philippines uh, out of our Vacation Bible School offering. And uh, I've known people that just picking up a Bible got saved and uh, God worked in their hearts and lives and uh, the power of God's word. So Paul said, read the epistles. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 3, promises a blessing to those that read the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 17, here's a third uh, supplication, a third request, and basically challenge Archippus. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. If you uh, turn with me to the book of Philemon, go forward uh, to the book of Philemon, just one little book, uh, one chapter. Uh, We have the mention here of Archippus, and uh, it's mentioned in the letter to Philemon. And uh, verse number 2. And to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Now, it, it seems, and, and uh, some have said that he pastored the church that met in Philemon's home or in Philemon's house. And here Paul uh, gives a challenge to Archippus. And uh, really it is encouragement to continue faithfully in the ministry. Now, the book of Colossians dealt with false doctrine, Gnostics. That's why uh, Paul makes mention of the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that we are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Gnosticism denied the deity of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, the doctrines of the Gnostics was very similar to the doctrines of Jehovah's Witnesses today. And uh, just very bluntly, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have a different Jesus. Uh, their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, the Jesus of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that's very important. And, and Paul puts emphasis upon that in the book of Colossians. And uh, uh, here is Archippus. He's a pastor. And he would have battled those false doctrines as a pastor. And you know, uh, pastoring is war sometimes. There's war as you stand up. And he needed the encouragement uh, to stay true to the things of God. And here's a reminder. Notice the statement in verse 17. This is very important. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received of the Lord. See, the ministry is a gift from God. And anything that God allows you to do, it's God's gift. To teach a Sunday school class, that's a gift from the Lord. Uh, to pastor a church is a gift from God. Uh, and so a God-called pastor is a steward of God's ministry. And God calls pastors, and then God gives aid to the pastors, and pastors will answer to God. That's very important. Hebrews 13, verse 17, talks about that accountability before the Lord. But he says, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received of the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Now don't shrink back from the calling or from the responsibility of that calling or of that ministry. Uh, I think about this. God will never call you to do anything but what His grace cannot equip you to do it. And so Archippus has been called of God to pastor and in a very difficult time facing persecution and a lot of false doctrine and Paul challenges him, take heed to that ministry that thou fulfill it, complete it, do what God has called you to do. I want to encourage you to know what God's will is for your life and to do it and to fulfill it. It would be wonderful to come to the end of your race and say at the end of your race, Lord, I did what you called me to do. I did my very best today. A lot of people will get to the end of the race and they have no idea why God made them. And so very important, know God's will for your life and live in that, fulfill it. Verse number 18, here's another thought here, another supplication. In the middle of the verse, Paul said, remember my bonds. Now, Paul was a prisoner as we spoke in Rome for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back to chapter 4 and verse number 2. And here Paul said, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Interestingly, Paul did not ask to be removed from that bondage or from that prison. Uh, Paul asked that the Lord would, the church would pray for him, that God would open a door of ministry in the midst of his bondage. History tells us that here Paul chained to Roman soldiers led many of those soldiers to the Lord. We also know from history that uh, many of Caesar's household, right under his nose, got saved because of Paul's ministry. So Paul doesn't ask, Lord, get me out of prison. What Paul uh, asks is, pray for me, that God would give me a door of utterance. Uh, Paul needed prayer. 
and he wasn't ashamed to ask for prayer. I think sometimes we, we ask for the wrong things. You know, we, we pray, uh, Lord, get me out of this hospital. Get me out of this situation. We ought to pray, Lord, whatever situation you allow me to be in, let me use that for your glory. There are no accidents with God. The Lord allows things and puts us in positions. I call them divine appointments. And we need to use the divine appointments that God gives unto us. Those are the closing supplications. Now go back to chapter 4, verse number 18. There's the closing signature. He says, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Now, Paul often dictated his letters to others. And the book of Colossians uh, was dictated to Tychicus and to Onesimus. And then uh, you'll read this, uh, written from Rome to Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus, right at the bottom. Uh, then Paul uh, would sign that letter. This would be the salutation. And uh, he would verify that he was the human author. And that would be the closing signature of the letter. I want you to look at this last statement. And, uh, and here is the closing salutation. He says, grace be with you. Amen. Grace be with you. This was uh, a salutation. It was a greeting. It was the act of, uh, of paying respect for them. But you'll notice as Paul concluded his letters, uh, always concluded with God's grace be with you. Uh, God's grace, the unmerited favor of God. Uh, how important. The final verse of the Bible, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And I want to give this thought here just in conclusion tonight is our success in the Christian life is all of God's grace. It's not of you. It's of God's grace. There's saving grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, not done of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You'll never be saved apart from God's grace. You'll never be saved until you admit that you can't be saved on your own. You'll never be saved until you reject religion and come to Jesus and to Jesus alone. They're saving grace. But beyond saving grace, they're sanctifying grace because salvation changes the life. And so we're saved by God's grace, but then through that grace, we are forgiven of sin and then from sin, God cleanses us. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's sanctifying grace. You see, the Lord, once you're saved, begins to make you and mold you into the character and the image of Jesus Christ. Remember, you're complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is serving grace. Now, Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And all of our service to the Lord is to be by God's grace. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. You receive the Lord by faith through grace, and likewise we are to walk in Him. And they're serving grace. And they're suffering grace. Paul was writing to Christians who suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so they would need that grace, the Lord, grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. But I think of securing grace. Aren't you grateful tonight? But you can't lose salvation. Oh, boy, if I could lose it, I would have lost it five seconds after I got saved. But I'm so thankful that when I got saved, I was kept and I've been kept by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of His grace. 
child of God is secured for heaven. And I think about this, because of that securing grace, that when the time comes, there will be dying grace. I think of the preacher that was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was told that if he would simply deny the name of Jesus and say Caesar was Lord, that they would release him. But if he would not proclaim Caesar to be Lord, they would put him to the stakes the very next day, and they would light a fire to that stake. That preacher that night was visited by a dear friend, and the preacher began to say to that friend, I'm so fearful that tomorrow when they take me to the stake that I'm going to fail. And he says, I don't ever want to deny my Lord Jesus. And very wisely, this friend said to him, has not God given you grace for every trial that you have faced? And he says, yes, he has. And he says, well, God will likewise give you the grace to die, if that be his will. And suddenly that preacher now had peace. Because he realized, and so often we do this, we take today's grace, and we use today's grace for tomorrow's worries. And we waste the grace that God has given us. You see, God gives you grace for the moment now. He gives you grace for the trials now. He gives you grace for what you face now. And tomorrow, when that new trial comes, uh, the Lord then gives that grace for that trial. And sure enough, as that preacher came to that point of death, the stake was lit, and the fires and flames began to burn. That preacher began to sing unto the Lord. And it was said that the presence of Jesus was so real in his life as he gave his dying breath singing unto the Lord. And because of the powerful testimony that he gave, uh, there were others that trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. He discovered at that point of death there was dying grace. He was secured in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that precious? That's the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that by him all things consist. He secures this, his preeminence, and in Christ we are complete. And what a precious treasure to be complete in the Lord Jesus Christ, to know that you know that you know that you've been saved. Like for a moment, every head bowed and every eye closed here tonight.